I've never seen a situation like this where the full rate is six, you have a massive discount to get you to the standard rate of 0.6%. They, they kind of dangle these threats over your head. And they say, if you make a mistake or if the state makes a mistake, you're gonna lose that 5.4% credit. And because it's such a large discount or such a large credit reduction, that's, that's a pretty heavy threat for them to use. Welcome to another episode of Compliance Matters from Experian Employer Services. I'm your host, Maria Derevek. As you've just heard, we're diving into a complex employer tax that comes with an immediate 5.4% discount. It's the FUDO credit reduction, and it's something every employer should be familiar with. Today, we're joined by Michael Orton and Wayne Retcher, two experts in the field of payroll and unemployment tax compliance. They share fascinating insights on the issue, including important ways you, as an employer, can manage the cost. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Today, we have Michael and Wayne with us um, on the podcast And I always like to start off by asking what got you into the business, what your title is at Experian, and what makes you really passionate about the work that you do. So Wayne, let's start with you and tell me a little bit what got you into this and why you continue to be involved day to day. Sure. Thank you very much, Maria. Uh, Right. So I am a VP of Unemployment Tax here at Experian Employer Services, and I've been in this industry for over three decades. Um, I know I don't really look like it, but uh, uh, it's been 30 plus years. And so what gets me out of bed, I've I've held a variety of roles here and claims and tax and but the majority of the time has been in tax. And it 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 just makes sense to me because it's it's much more black and white. This plus this equals that. And if there's a problem, then it needs to be corrected. And I, I do. I like correcting problems. And we typically find quite a few for our customers. So um, it's just, it's a, it's a good place to be for me and, and how my analytical brain works. Same question to you, Michael, what has motivated you to stay in the industry? What's your background and what brought you to this role? Yeah. So current role, I am the managing director over payroll tax services here at Experian. I have a law degree and I have public accounting experience. And so I, I've, I've been in the industry for quite some time. And it is interesting. I mean, sometimes I ask myself, why, why did I end up in payroll? But the thing I love about payroll is Same. complexity, right? Like it, it is so complex when you layer on so many different tax types in so many different jurisdictions. It is a very, very complex area of tax. And I do also love that it's constantly changing. It's never the same. I show up to work every morning and I never, I, I never feel like I'm, you know, stuck in the, the world of repetition at all. That is absolutely true. We, we never yeah. get bored. <laughs> so Always new. Always. <clears throat> yep. Perfect. Well, I know we're talking today, really the conversation is centered around FUDA credit reduction. First thing, just for our listening audience, I think most people in the, in the payroll tax world really know this, but just for anybody that doesn't, can someone tell me what FUTA, Michael, maybe you take this one, what FUTA stands for? Yeah, Federal Unemployment Tax. Perfect. Yep. So most people are familiar with the state unemployment tax. And can you elaborate a little bit on what is federal unemployment tax and what is it really funding? Sure. Wayne, 
Can you answer that for us? Oh, oh sure, absolutely. Yeah, FUTA tax <clears throat> is paid for by employers and um, they pay it annually. And um, it it's a couple of things really. It helps fund the state unemployment's um, ability, their agencies to administer the program throughout their various states. And then it also, it helps pay for those odd situations, those times when, um, like the pandemic, for example, emergencies, um, natural disasters, when things are occurring that the states just couldn't plan for. And so they need a little extra help to fund that because people are going to be filing unemployment claims, right? When uh, they're out of work and if it's because of a hurricane or a tornado or a pandemic, um, it's, it's going to be astronomical. So no, I don't think any state could really plan for that sort of thing. Um, if they, honestly, if they tried, they'd probably overtax their employers right out of the state. So, um, yeah. so those are the main two, main two reasons for FUTA. Uh, Michael, I don't know if you have anything more that comes to mind yeah. for you. Yeah. I think that's spot on. I mean, there are moments in time in history where, a large volume of, of, of em, employees are laid off and they all go to unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. And so states can only keep so much in reserve and they're not quite equipped for those for those moments. Think back on the financial crisis in 2008, it happened where a lot of states had to tap into the federal emergency fund. And like Wayne mentioned, once again, the pandemic, th- th- those were uncontro- uncontrollable levels of unemployment. States did not have the cash reserves to handle that so they once again had to tap into that emergency funding that's funded and provided by the federal government because of this federal unemployment tax. Okay, perfect. Thanks for clarifying. So we know the full FUTA tax rate is 6%, but most taxpayers end up only paying about 0.6% in the end, which is a pretty large delta. How How is that possible, Michael? Can you answer that? Yeah, it, it, this is this is the thing that I find most fascinating about federal unemployment tax, because if you read the statute, if you read the rules, it will say that the tax rate is 6%. And that will give most people pause because they'll think, I don't pay the 6%. I actually pay at a 0.6%, right? Much, much, much lower. And the reason that is, is that the federal government offers a standard credit reduction to all employers, right? Unless they lose talk about what that means a little bit later, but most people get the standard credit reduction of 5.4%, which means they pay at a net net tax rate of 0.6%. I've never seen a situation like this where the full rate is six, you have a massive discount to get you to the standard rate of 0.6%. And the reason it's written that way is, is, as we'll talk about, they kind of dangle these threats over your head I'm going to say if you make a mistake or if the state makes a mistake, you're going to lose that 5.4% credit. And because it's such a large discount or such a large credit reduction, that's that's a pretty heavy threat for them to use. Yeah, the first time I heard that term credit reduction years ago, I, I thought that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. Reduction in a credit? I don't, I don't get it. So it, it took me a little bit to figure out. Okay, this is what that means. So you know, if you're hearing it for the first time, maybe you're like me and you you just it didn't make sense. So, but we'll, we'll help explain that here in a little bit. Okay, perfect. So Michael, can you elaborate on a few scenarios that will cause employers to lose this credit reduction? 
There are two primary scenarios that would cause an employer to, to lose this credit reduction. Scenario one is if you, the employer, are not compliant with state unemployment taxes. Okay, so if they discover or find out or hear that you are not compliant with state unemployment tax, they have the ability to remove the entire credit reduction. And that can be very, very costly, right? And what that means, just if you don't mind me jumping in here, to be compliant, they have to file timely. Um, every quarter, the employers are required to file by the end of the month following that quarter, except for Michigan, which is off-brand, and they require you to pay by the 25th. But if you miss that deadline for some reason, then that's a, a ding against you as far as the IRS is concerned. Um, and then the same thing would go for um, maybe you, you filed, but you didn't pay it for some reason. So again, that's, that's a discrepancy that might cause you to lose that credit. Right. And if you think about this, like just put this into perspective. If you pay at the standard 0.6% rate, the liability is only $42 per head. Right. <clears throat> it's really quite small, right? But if you lose the credit reduction entirely, that liability jumps to $420 per head. It's a 90% increase. It's a huge delta. Right. And imagine if you had thousands of employees, right? That That's a huge hit. Yeah. So Crazy. it's incredibly so second, important. That's the first way is if you are not compliant with, with state unemployment tax, the second way that you can lose it it's a little bit different. If the state you operate in took an emergency fund, emergency loan from the federal government and didn't pay it back within the timing parameters laid out by statute, the federal government will start to impose a credit reduction on every employer in the state. And this is what, from a policy perspective, I think this is so fascinating because it's almost like your state's fiscal problems become your problems. Their inability to pay back a loan, it, it, it punishes you. It punishes the employers in the state. Um, and, and, that, and the that, states have some some leeway there on, on how much they're going to tax employers. And of course, they don't want to overtax, right? Because they don't want business moving out. But they have control over the taxable wage base which is the amount of earnings that an employer has to pay taxes on for every person. Can't be any lower than the federal, which is 7,000, but it can be as high as whatever they want. And some of them are 50, $60,000. So really a state could change their statute to say, you know, instead of it being 10,000, it's gonna be 15,000 next year. So that would help build their coffers or they might increase a rate schedule from A to B so that where last year the employers were paying at a 0.3% on the low end, now this year they're paying at a maybe a 0.5% or something like that. So there are measures that the states have available to them. It's just whether or not they choose to take advantage of that. And there's legislature involved and, you know, then there's, it becomes political and that whole thing. So. So the underlying employers in the state are essentially the ones who pay the price. If the state agency is unable to pay for their federal loans can, Michael, can you elaborate on that scenario a little bit? Go into depth a bit more about that because that can be kind of confusing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's out of your control at times. And the good things, good thing is that if this were to happen, you don't lose the entire credit reduction all at once. 
you lose it slowly. So maybe year one, if they don't pay it back in time, you have a 0.4% credit reduction and that will grow from there, right? So you're not losing it all at once, but but it, it does create a problem. I mean, a few years ago, following the financial crisis in 2008, Michigan comes to mind because they they suffered a credit reduction, right? And and in in the years that followed, knowing that that the state agency had made a mistake and that they, that they had cost their employers, they actually offered to reimburse all employers for the extra tax paid because of the credit reduction. And so there there was there was a program that they stood up, and you could go get in line and you could get your money back. And they did that because they felt somewhat at at fault for that credit reduction. And it was a great program. Um, other states might do. I mean, we're, we're, we're living and breathing this credit reduction as we speak. We'll talk about that because of the pandemic. And it will be interesting to see if we see other states stand up and do the same. Right. And the, the, the mechanism that the states have available to them for this future credit reduction sort of leads into that is a Title 12 loan. Um, so the governor has to request the money and, um, there's, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there are two sort of two pieces to that puzzle. One is a request is made. And so now there's this amount of money sitting out here that says, okay, you're approved for this amount. Sort of like when you go buy a house, I guess, you know, you're, you can afford this much, but maybe you're not going to take that full amount instead of a half a million dollar house. You really only want to buy a $300,000 house. So you don't overextend overextend yourself, and the same thing goes true for this. So you'll have one bucket, uh, which is kind of the the fake money. This is how much you're eligible for, and then from that, the state can say, "All right, I want to take all of it, or some of it, or whatever." And then they'll have to pay interest on that, as Michael was saying earlier. That there's a repayment period that is in place for them, and if they miss that cutoff, that's when the credit reduction takes place on the following year's 940. So I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. So you can also lose the credit if you are non-compliant with the state unemployment tax. Wayne, can you elaborate on that point that was brought up a few minutes ago? Sure. Is the IRS just always watching, making sure you're not making a wrong <laughs> move? Can you? Well, it seems like that, doesn't it? Even on our personal taxes, yeah. but I know, um, right? it's, it is random. And, um, we do see that we I've seen it over my years here. Um, the, the IRS will do audits and, and basically confirm what they know or what's been reported to them um, with a particular state. And if the state reports back to them that it's A instead of B, then this, the IRS says, oh, OK, well, I need to go to that employer now and figure out what's going on here because they've underreported to us and they owe us some more taxes which then means there's going to be an audit that, you know, that brings red flags up for every employer. Um, and being a third party agent, we help out our customers with that all the time. Um, you know, we can give them advice on it, but it's, it's painful, right? It's a lot of records have to be brought out and you might even have an agent show up at your place of business. So it's, it's, you want to avoid that at all costs, right? So it, you have to make sure that whether you've got an internal payroll tax filing group, that does it for you or a third party. Um, you want to make sure that they're hitting all the deadlines that they're supposed to be hitting, that they're paying timely, that they're paying the full amount and that they're actually filing because we've seen kind of both scenarios where 
they'll file, but they won't pay or they'll pay and they won't file. And, and, you know, there's glitches in systems that happen. So there really needs to be um, some good fallout procedures there so that if this happens, then somebody else is coming up behind that saying, oh, oops, we missed that before you get to the, the filing deadline and miss it. So there needs to be some stopgap in there to make sure that, that all these things are done timely and within statute, because it really can create an unnecessary headache um, for an employer. And I think, Wayne, to, to build on that, the, it's, it's commonly referred to as the SUI verification process. So it usually happens at year end or soon after year end where the, where the, the IRS will first reach out to the state and ask, is this employer compliant? And if the answer is no, they will then reach out to the employer, initiates the audit, audit initiates the review. And I will tell you from my experience, once you're caught up in a SUI verification audit, once, it dramatically increases your, 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 your risk of an audit again in the future. So they seem to be coming back time and time again to make sure you're doing what you should be doing. And then lastly, I think if you're using a unique filing structure like an agent relationship oh, or a PEO or a, um, a common paymaster, anything like that, where there's consolidated reporting that bifurcates which EIN you use for federal purposes and which EIN you use for state purposes, that can cause, that can increase the likelihood of a SUI verification audit by 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 several multiple that is true because what what i've seen um, to your point is some of the, the state agency personnel don't really understand common page and common paymaster um and that's i think even more true now because we've seen so many uh state personnel retire um and you know just say i'm out of here and then their replacements don't have as much experience or knowledge so they're they're losing that knowledge base um, unfortunately, at a pretty rapid rate. So it's difficult to, I mean, anybody knows that, right? You've been in an, in an industry for a long time. There's a certain amount of information that's in your head and not available to other people. And if if you don't take the time to pull that out of there, then the people that are left behind are really going to be stuck. Uh, I think that's where we are now. I, I wouldn't say that's across the board, but there are some states that it's more prevalent than others. Yeah, piggybacking off of that comment, I mean, what if you could summarize, what would be the current environment right now? What's what's been going on? Well, <clears throat> that's a good question because as we mentioned earlier, the pandemic drained almost all of the states' unemployment funds, um, and because it was unprecedented, right? We we heard about different state systems that were crashing because they had so many people trying to file claims at the same time. So who can plan for that, right? Um, but the, the feds do expect the states to, to really try to be as fiscally responsible as they can be. Um, so there's this calculation called AHCM, um, and, and it's the average high cost multiple. So what that does, I'm not going to get into all the specifics of it, but really what it does is it gives each state kind of their their bar for how much they should have in their trust fund all the time so that they can 
make sure that they can make all the payments to the, the claimants that are going to be filing. So, you know, it's going to differ depending on how much industry is in a state because there's factors like payroll and different things like that that go into the calculation. So there, there's probably going to be a lot more payroll in like California and New York than there might be in, I don't know, Idaho or Montana or something like that. So every state's AHCM is a little bit different. But going into the pandemic, there were less than half of the states that even had the amount they needed to at that point just for a regular recession. Okay, so then we got hit with the pandemic and it just blasted everybody's uh, fund balance out. So now they're trying to rebuild those. Um, they, they did get a little bit of a break because the federal government provided some help through the ARPA funds and things such as that. Um, so then the monies didn't if they did come out of the account, the feds kind of replenished it from there. But it's going to take some time. I, I, the last time it occurred, uh, the last recession uh, it took about seven or eight years for most states to be in a good spot again. And, and even for like California was one of the states that got was the last to come off of that due to credit reduction list uh, because they were so far in debt. Um, <clears throat> so we're we're in a similar spot. Uh, we've got a couple of states that have outstanding loans through that due to credit reduction list. Um, but fewer than I was expecting, to be honest with you, uh, just because of, of how the trust funds were so decimated because of that. Um, so there, some states are increasing taxable wage bases. Uh, some states are changing their tables. Um, and of course, when that happens, that gets the employer community in an uproar because they're paying more in taxes. Uh, which I get, right? You know, it, it's it's a cost of doing business, um, and it's it's not necessarily fair, I suppose. But it is the what it is. That's how the unemployment fund was set up uh, back in the '30s was to have employers pay for it. And there are a couple of states that have a little piece of an employee that uh, amount that goes into that, but for the most part, it's fully funded by employers. Yeah, and I think from an environment, I, last year there were four states. With the credit reduction, I believe in the end, those states were California, Connecticut, Illinois, and New York. We won't know what states will have a credit reduction in 2023 until the end of the year, until right. where they'll make those those states known. Um, As of right now, we have California that has an outstanding balance. We have Connecticut, and we have New York, and of course Virgin Islands. They just never did bounce back from the hurricane. Um, but those are the ones that actually have a balance right now. There are three other states that have this in reserve sort of thing that they've asked for, but they haven't actually used it yet. Um, so you've got two different things. You have a, a date that you have to pay the interest back because there's interest on it, just like any loan. Um, and then there's a, another date that you have to have the loan paid off. And if you miss the loan paid off date, that's when it becomes a credit reduction state yeah and we so, won't know that till november it'll be interesting to see what happens in november <laughs> we'll be interesting we'll be to us them. tax nerds right maybe not so what can employers do to mitigate this risk michael this is 
there's seems like a lot of risk, some that they can mitigate, some that's kind of out of their hands. What can an employer do to mitigate? I mean, I would say two things. Like I said, the determination for 23 won't be made until November of 23, right? And so sometimes the worst thing that can happen is when you're caught off guard. So I would always be monitoring the situation and know if your particular state is at risk because it could be that your your feudal liability goes up dramatically for the entire year and you may not know that until the end of the year. So you need to budget properly. You need to, you need to manage your expectations and you need to, you need to know the operating environment for each state, essentially. That's number one. Number two, and then I guess to mitigate the risk itself is a footfall in state unemployment tax can be extremely costly because it can actually create a credit reduction on the federal side as well. So the thing you can do, the one thing you can control is to make sure that there are no footfalls on the state side as so that you preserve your full credit reduction on the federal side. Is there a place that they could go to check to see if their state was at risk? Like where would you advise them to go? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many articles. Uh, I would first say start with our blog. We're always monitoring the situation. We're putting stuff out all the time on this. We're not the only ones. There's a lot of people speaking to this. Yeah, there are a few, you know, there, there are a few. And then I would say, watch IRS notices and alerts as well. What can states do to mitigate the risk for employers? Yeah. And that is, again, it's raising taxes, right? Because they need to replenish the, the trust funds that are gone or low. Um, And the last time I looked at the list of states that were under their AHCM threshold, it was still quite a bit. Um, So I think, Part of this, too, just to kind of throw this out, this is a little bit maybe off topic, but uh, because of the pandemic, uh, it was brought to the light that these states' systems were so incredibly antiquated that they couldn't even handle the volume, right? So the Fed said, okay, if you want um, to develop a new system, we'll give you some money to do that. So there are some states that are doing that. And I think as a result, that will make it possibly easier for employers to maybe do... um, portal sort of payments and, and, and filings instead of hard copy. So um, maybe there's that, that the states will do some updates to their system, but you know, that takes time, two, three years. And then uh, secondly, just in the factors that we talked about a little bit earlier, the taxable wage base, that to me is, is the easiest way. If, if you're currently only charging tax on the first $7,000, well, it, it's time to up that. And maybe you you do it for what we've seen is some states will say, all right, for the next five years, we're going to incrementally increase it until it hits this threshold. Um, or they can go to a higher rate schedule. Um, these typically will all require a statute change, so legislature. So it's not easy or quick a lot of times, but it's definitely something that's going to have to happen if if we want to recover from this faster than in previous years. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you both. Thank you for giving some enlightenment to the FUDA credit reduction. It's always fun to chat with you both. Um, 
So I would really urge everyone to go look at our blog for more information. Both Michael and Wayne, I believe, have written articles. And as Michael already mentioned, we keep that up to date. But thank you for tuning in to this episode. We appreciate it.